0: Hey everybody, welcome back to FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night. And of course, FOMO Sapiens 24 seven that won't change. And today, the topic is how to find the combination of what you love and what you do for a living. Where is that meeting between love and work People these days, we all know what it feels like when you go to the office and you're sort of like, wow, I have no interest in what I'm doing. I feel totally disconnected from the work. And it may be, by the way, it's not just people who work in big corporate jobs. You may have started a company. You may be doing something entrepreneurial. You might be pursuing a passion that is in the arts or in the nonprofit world, things that you think would give you the impact and the love that you have uh, looked for, but we just get disconnected from it. And so we got to constantly be working to figure out that connection, to make it deeper. And my guest to talk about that is Marcus Buckingham. He is the author of the new book, Love and Work, and that's love plus work, like the, the, the math sign. In there, And he is the author of two of the best-selling business books of all time. He has two of Harvard Business Review's most circulated industry-changing cover articles. And he's been the subject of in-depth profiles in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Forbes, Fortune, Fast Company, The Today Show, and The Oprah Winfrey Show. Now, after spending two decades studying excellence at the Gallup organization and co-creating the StrengthsFinder tool, he built his own coaching and education firm, the Marcus Buckingham Company. Now, here's what you're going to learn in today's conversation. First of all, we're going to diagnose the problem. Why do people feel disengaged? They feel stressed. They have anxiety. What's happening? We're also going to talk about how the system, work and jobs and all these sorts of things we have to do, it drains the love from our lives. And then we're going to get to the really fun part. We're going to get weird together. And I mean that in a very clean way, but we're going to get weird because we're going to talk about the concept of weird w y r d which is a norse term that's all about how you figure out your distinct spirit and what you should be doing with it so i really like it it's a little metaphysical so roll with me on this one but i thought the concept of weird was pretty amazing and so that my friends is what we're going to focus on now my small ask for today is this find me on social media instagram at patrick j mcginnis twitter at pj mcginnis linkedin whatever you like and when you do that send me a note with ideas thoughts suggestions even criticisms i can handle it so many of you write me and i have to tell you number 1 it's just nice to meet you number 2 you give me really smart ideas this show is better because of listeners who contact me you can also get me on email if you're feeling that it's at let's connect at patrickmignis.com so just reach out you know we're thinking already about season 9 can you believe it and so smart ideas creative ideas feedback always, always welcome. All right. And now onto the interview. As you know, I'd like to start every conversation with the same question and Marcus did not escape. So I started by asking him this, what's a formative decision that you've had to make to get to where you are today?
1: Well, I started off my career with a full 17 years at one company called the Gallup organization, um, and did some really great stuff. My first two books actually were written while I was there first brick all the rules and then now discover your strengths, which was all about building strength finder. And then and things were going great. Um, got to 17 years in though. And I realized that I was more interested in mean, my first 17 years was spent measuring things, measuring strengths, measuring engagement. And while measuring is really interesting, because um, I'm an I'm a nerd that way as a, as a psychometrician. In the end, though, I feel like I wanted to make something move that I was measuring. Let's build engagement, let's build strengths, let's let's leverage people's strengths. How do you do that in the real world? And so 17 years into my career when, with one company, I quit and uh, went out to start my own company. And I don't really think of myself as a serial entrepreneur. I'm not that guy that was, you know, selling ice creams to his friends at school at six years old. Um, So for me, that was momentous. I mean, my mentor, uh, Don Clifton, who was the chairman and chief scientist of Gallup, had just died. So I was, and I'd actually written in my first book, you know, people leave managers, not companies. And which is now like, I guess everyone says that. But at the time, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, my manager, my mentor, the person I moved from London to Lincoln, Nebraska when I was 21 for, um, which seemed like crazy idea to everybody in my life. Uh, had just died. And it was like, all right, well, if you want to go and actually try to build engagement or build strengths or change things in the real world, you actually have to step off the stands and go step into the arena. And uh, that was a huge and super-duper scary decision, but I wouldn't be here if I wasn't, uh, I don't know, able at some point to make that decision, which I did. How long did that
0: take? I'm curious. You know, And, and how many people did you consult?
1: I actually, at the time made it on a snap because i had I maybe it had been building patrick like building 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 and sometimes when you get a feeling inside you but you can't articulate it but it's there and it gnaws at you and you wake up at 2 a.m and you're not sure why you woke up but you woke up at 2 a.m and you lie there thinking somebody's trying to tell me something and so that just kept happening to me and i would wake up and my days were filled with um they were, they were filled with something innovating. I don't know, something was shivering around me and I never hadn't had that before. I'd, I'd loved what I was doing. I'd written two books that started off as research projects and then just exploded. So for me, it, was, it suddenly emerged one day, it was a Friday. Was, I was in New York at the time. And I was like, this isn't gonna work anymore. This isn't my life. Whatever my life was and it was okay. Moving forward, this, this feeling of shivering every day isn't, isn't working. So I, um, I made the decision, I think, in an hour. And I had no clients to move into. I had no funding. I had no, I had no plan actually, other than I can't stay in this situation because it's a second rate version of me in this situation. And I can't even really articulate why, but I know I've got to move. You know, life is not balance, is it? its motion, everything healthy in life is moving and, and you've got to figure out a way to move through your life in a way that allows you to draw nourishment from the moving. Uh, we don't talk about life like that, but that's really what a healthy life is. It's motion through various domains of your life. And I was, I was stopped. I could feel it. I was, I was stopped. So I just really that morning, I just felt you got to move. And I don't know, maybe, it's, maybe it's the stupidest decision I've ever made. But at the time, I just went boom. And uh, then I, I, my, my master's thesis at school was on the social and psychological issues of entrepreneurship. And I always got this image in mind because we studied uh, 100 really successful entrepreneurs, 100 average ones. And one of them said in one of the focus groups that we were doing at the time, um, the most important thing as an entrepreneur is to remember, if you want to go across town, you don't wait until the stoplights are green. You go stoplight to stoplight. And for whatever huh. daft reason, that just stuck in my head. Don't wait until they're all green. Just go stoplight to stoplight and you'll tweak and adjust and move as you go. So I went.
0: (laughs) It is, what you're saying reminds me of, I had this conversation on the show with Sukinder Singh Cassidy and her whole kind of, she wrote this book. That's just the kind of point of the book is like, we all think there are these huge decisions we're going to make. We're going to make like four big decisions in life. And then everything else is sort of like, you know, a rounding error. And the reality is that like, it's not that way it feels big to us, but like we, when you make a decision, yeah, some are bigger than others, but it's like one decision opens the door to the next set of decisions and so forth, the motion that you're talking about. And I think that like the the closer we can get to moving away from this notion that like, there are these like make or breaks in life. Yeah. I mean, there are probably some, some here and there that are like, well, am I going to commit a crime? You know, am I going to be the the good person? Am I going to dishonor somebody? Like those are kind of make or break you know, in a different kind of way. But when it comes to like, am I going to choose McKinsey or am I going to, you know, start my company or am I going to move to Cleveland or am I going to go to Omaha? You know, that's that's a whole like those are not make or break, but they can feel that way.
1: No, I mean, I, that, that's why in the book I called uh, the chapter on career. What lo- What's a love and work career look like? Um, We've called careers ladders or lattices or jungle gyms and all of them are sort of climbing metaphors, but Mm. really a career is a scavenger hunt. It's a scavenger hunt for love. You're looking for particular things that you might love, tiny little things like a moment, an activity, a situation, not like do what you love because frankly there is no data supporting that at all that the most successful people do all that they love that's just not true they find love in what they do though that's different they're very deliberate and going i like this activity i like this one i like this like little moments of i think i call them red threads in the book your life's made up of many different threads your day mm-hmm. frankly is made up of many different threads some black white gray green lift you up and down a little bit but some of them are red they're Activities where you vanish into yourself while you're doing them and you're sort of lifted up and you've got instinctive mastery and you're like I don't know what that is, but I kind of love it and your career is this you're just scavenging for those kinds of red threads and to your point, it's you know, should I should I stay in school and get my masters? Should I go to design school? Should I join this company? It's like just take the pressure off and just start you're standing on the edge of the forest. Don't wait until someone's cut a flipping four lane highway all the way through it. Just walk in and start looking for red threads. I went from, I graduated from Cambridge University, sitting there, all my friends going to London. They're all going to some fancy schmancy, you know, jobs. In the, I get on a plane and go to Lincoln, Nebraska in 1987. And it's like everyone going, why, what that, what? And I I can remember saying to my dad, like, shouldn't I go to London or Paris and you know, Get some experience. And his line at the time, Patrick, was, um, do you think there's a quality of experience in Lincoln that you wouldn't get anywhere else? He didn't use the word red threads, obviously. But is there a quality of experience there you get somewhere else? And I said, uh, yes. And so he said, well, then you don't know where it leads. Follow something that you know right now, that for whatever reason that you love. Go do that. See what happens. And so I, I didn't know that would lead me to end up talking to you, but it, it was just a little bit of scavenging and if we could think of our careers that way, just keep hunting for little bits of red threads and see where they pull you. In the end, who knows how much money you're going to make, but you'll end up living your life, not someone else's. That's for sure.
0: Oh, yeah. hundred percent. And, you know, just because we work rights in on a wall, do what you love, like all this fictional, I just I can't deal with that stuff. FOMO. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one of a kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to netsuite.com/fomo. That's netsuite.com/fomo. netsuite.com/fomo. Tudo bem, meus queridos Sapiens? Now that right there was Portuguese, and as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in 5 Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. only for our listeners at babble.com slash fomo. Get up to sixty percent off at babble.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. Your book, Love and Work, is out now and it's it's really it's have it, you kind of done this amazing thing, which is you figured out like two years ago how to write the book for now, which is like for anybody who's ever tried to write a book, that is a that is, that's a combination of divine intervention and soothsaying, so good on you. Now let's talk about, <laughs> seriously, um, let's talk about what the heck is going out there because you kind of allude to this and you get into it early in the book. It's like, we have this kind of generation of people who are disengaged. Like the figures are out there. I've seen these, there are Gallup polls, I believe, your former employer. It's like, mm. you know, 74% of people-ish, it's in the range there, are disengaged at work. And that isn't just, I mean, yeah, there's some jobs where you're like, yeah, it's hard to get excited about, you know, putting things on a shelf. But, and by the way, we'll get into that too. You can find excitement in anything. But these are things that people theoretically went to school for, for seven years. It's like, oh, I went to undergrad in law school. I wanted to be a lawyer. And now I'm in, you know, I'm a partner at XYZ firm and I get up in the morning and I am so checked out. Mm. So what is causing the, this disconnection that so many of us are feeling? well there's
1: two big chunks of that i mean one of them is the pandemic i think that has to be something that we take into account we've all been down really deep in the last two years and some of those days were dark because you're by yourself mm-hmm. and all the mm-hmm. the signals that you use to define your identity you when you go to the office who you talk to and wh- 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 where you sit down where your cube is if you sit there in office or whatever all of that went away so there was some some tough days for people and they looked in the mirror and they went who am i and then there was some clarifying days going oh you know what i'm a I'm a whole human, and I'm here for a short period of time, so we've got a lot of us coming out of that. I mean, I, you know, over the last four years, anyway, I've lost my dad, I left my marriage, I sold my company that I built. A pandemic hit, offices closed, you'd get disoriented from everyone. I'm, I'm just Exhibit A, but there's a million of us like this coming out, going, I'm here for a short time. I got to figure out what it is that I'm. What are these I'm all about? I do not want to go back into a situation where I'm a cog in a machine and I'm virtually unseen. And that's real. And any CEO that pretends that, we're just going to press a button, we'll go back to normal. Yeah, that's not, that's, we are changed humans. And it's a bit like a deep sea diver going down deep. If you rip us up from the surface, I mean, from the bottom to the surface, we get, we get the bends. I mean, our blood boils. And in this case, metaphorically, our blood is boiling, going this, I'm not going to go back into what I was doing. So some at least not in the same way. Some part of that is real. Obviously the companies that meet us emotionally where we're at will win the, the war for finding really good people. Some part of it though, Patrick, is um, was pre-pandemic. And we, we, we had low levels of engagement and resilience pre-pandemic. We had a crisis mm-hmm. of nurses and a shortage of nurses pre-pandemic, same with doctors. Teachers was the lowest um, uh, reputational, in, in terms of teachers actually just rating themselves, their own reputation of themselves was really, really low before the pandemic. So something else was going on systemically. And basically what was going on systemically is, A, we misdefined what a strength was. We said a strength is what you're good at and a weakness is what you're bad at. And that means, by the way, we are the judge of what your strengths and weaknesses are. You aren't. We will tell you what the right answers are. You won't, which, of course, just sort of takes away our own agency right from the get-go. But, of course, that's a stupid definition of strength and weakness because all of us have got things that we're really, really, really good at that we hate, classes in school that we get A's in, that if we never took them again, it would be a day too soon. So what's that? Well, that's a weakness. A weakness, properly defined, is any activity that weakens you, even if you're good at it. And a strength is any activity that you love or lean into or strengthens you, even if you're not good at it yet. Good or not good is performance. That's a different thing. What strengthens you is something that you know better than anyone else does. What weakens you is what you know better than anyone else does, which puts you right in the driver's seat really early to become the expert about you. But there ends up being a ton of lawyers who end up being lawyers because somebody said, well, you're good at all that pre-law stuff. You got the A's, go be a lawyer. Or doctors who end up being, well, you got pre-med. You crushed it, but deep down you're going, yeah, but I hate sick people, and they keep coming to my door. I don't know what it is. I fixed one. There's a whole line, of, you know. And you're like, oh, it's because y- you're not, you're not living a life that plays to what strengthens you. You're not. And then, of course, around that, we, ha- I put this right at the start of the book. It's bizarre. My my daughter, you know, during the pandemic, we've all got sort of put into the role of parent teacher. And so she was asking me one time about geometry. Um, What's the difference between a parallelogram and a rhombus. And obviously, I didn't, I couldn't remember the answer. (laughs) But it did occur to me like, Oh, my God, somebody took 10 years putting together a really detailed curriculum on geometry. That's, that's kind of amazing. And I'm, you know, God love geometry. But then you look at the all the curriculum, where's all the curriculum about helping my kid, learn about that which the, she loves. What are the particular activities that she loves? What are the particular red threads? What, finish three sentences beginning with the phrase, I love it when, and then put some verbs in there. I love it when what? You could do that at 11, couldn't you? And then you could, you could help a kid learn about who they are in terms of what they love and how that turns into strengths all the way through high school and into college. And who would love that is the working world because then we'd graduate people in who could actually turn to their colleagues on a team and go, hey, I'm not the best at, but I'm at my best when, this or turn to me for this or oh, by the way over here I'm like a deer in the headlights I need help over here like wouldn't that be great if people had some sort of self-mastery when they graduated from school and then when you look of course you realize there's nothing on that all schools are outside in not inside out it's it all assumes with probably the best of intentions Patrick that everyone's just an empty vessel and we're gonna fill you with stuff knowledge and stuff, and then I'll test you on what you retain. Then you go to work. It's the same thing. Here are the competencies you're supposed to have. Here's the list. We'll measure you against the list. Here's a 360 degree tool to assess you against that model. The whole thing is based on the idea that there's nothing in you that's real. And we'll tell you that again and again and again. And, And as a result, we get those really low levels of disengagement, really high levels of burnout, and lots and lots of people on Xanax, on Wellbutrin, I mean, it, epidemic levels of people on Adderall and this, I mean, it's, it's a sickness where we've, as I say it in the book, it's not like we get lost, we're hidden. We are not to get too polemical about this, but the whole educational workplace ecosystem deliberately tries to hide you from yourself so that the uniform outcomes that we want from people are achieved. Your unique loves. To my daughter, they're going to say this, which is why I wrote the book actually going, gosh, darn it. I don't want my daughter to go to some workplace. And basically, in the most banal sort of ways, we want to grind the uniqueness out of you. That's sick. Mm. And, and we're making a lot of people sick at school and at work. And there's got to be a better way to do it. There's got to be a better way to do it.
0: So that's
1: sorry to run on,
0: but God, no, the, I, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I'm just thinking like, I feel like I'm in a therapy session because I'm thinking back to, I was always the guy who would grind it out in school. Like I had some subjects that were easy for me and then some subjects I was not very good at, but I would work, I would study like a madman. I would read the chapters that weren't assigned. I was really kind of intense. And then I get into, um, wall street and you know, you are so used to being conditioned to like. I just have to grind it out. And I need to put myself, fit myself into the system that these people have designed to be successful. That I, you know, I did that. And only later did I realize, like, yeah, I can do that, but like, I'll never be great. There are some people, by the way, who just show up at the Wall Street Bank and they're just good at it and they're meant to be there and they do really, like, great work and they're very successful and like there's nothing wrong with that like I celebrate that because they're blooming where they're planted I on the other hand was like doing a little um, sort of a twister like movement some yoga to try to get like, you know, my, my knee behind my head, which by the way, I cannot do. And in order to try to like be good at wall street and I was good at aspects of it. Yeah. I, I was good at the venture capital investing, but I wasn't good at like building a model about a financial services company in Peru. And I, and so like, no matter how hard I worked, I would never be wonderful at that. So it's, it's, I think many of us understand exactly what that feels like. FOMO. FOMO. Now, you talk about this awesome, awesome concept, which I super appreciate, called weird. Now, everybody, it's spelled W-Y-R-D. We're going from the Nordics. It's a Norse Nordic or Norse term yep. that every person is born with a distinct spirit. And this is kind of the like the jump off point to figure out, like, what am I supposed to be doing? So, get, Marcus, give us. Let's get weird. Tell us about the weird <laughs> thing. <laughs> I love that. Yes. So
1: um, it's uh, one of the strange things if you study psychology or social psychology and you take it all the way through to PhD level, one of the weirdest things that you bump into is you realize that there's very, very little different. There's very, very little uh, work done on what's called individual difference psychology. And yet individual difference psychology is really what most of us are really interested in. And that basically means not why am I look, I'm a white male of a certain age. So there's certain general sort of generalities we can make about people's race or or religion or nationality or age or sexual orientation. And, And we obviously should study those differences. And those differences are important parts of people's identity, and that's important. But the really important question for most of us is why am I different than my sister? Why am I different than my brother? These are the people that grew up in the same bloody house with me, same parents, same gene pool. But I couldn't be more different from my brother or my sister, or if you don't have a brother and sister, cousins or close, people who grew up right next to you. And yet you pay attention to different things than they do. You laugh at different things than they do. You get drawn into things that bore them. You get ticked off by things that they seem fine with. Like, what, if you really worked at it, could you be more like your brother if you tried or less like your brother if that's what you wanted? Like, That's a big question for everyone because it basically says, who are you? independent of anything else, because we've controlled for everything else, the circumstances, because you're comparing yourself to someone who grew up in the bedroom next to you. Why are you different from them? Why? And what the Norse said, and the Norse figured this out, just like folks in doing cave drawings in Indonesia 50,000 years ago, they figured this out too. We're all different. I mean, the oldest cave drawing, by the way, Patrick, we've ever found is a 50, actually 44,000 year old uh, cave drawing. In Indonesia, in on the island of uh, Sulawesi, and it's a picture not of a hand, or, or, or not even of a god. It's a it's a picture of a team. It's a bunch of little people with spears and arrows and stuff, and they're chasing animals. But what's weird about the people, the the artist, and they think most art is done by women. So that what the artist was doing, she she made each person have a little animal characteristic, like a like the nose of a of a, uh, of an elephant or the face of a lion or the tail of a crocodile. And they think basically that what she's doing is she's denoting some sort of personality characteristic of each members of the team. One of them's wily, like a crocodile. One of them's fast, like a, a lion, one of them. So from the get go, we've realized that we're all really different and the Norse, they had their version of it was to say, you have a weird W Y R D at birth. I mean, obviously, the Norse were wrong about quite a lot of things, like planetary movement and maybe even the <laughs> flatness of the earth. But, but they were—they were right about the fact that when you're born, and if any of you, you know, have kids, like it's like you see this right away. You're born with something about you that makes you distinct and unique, even from your siblings. And today, we know that it's a function of the synaptic network connection in your brain, and that you have basically a hundred trillion, a hundred trillion synaptic connections in your brain by the time you're 19 that is more synaptic connections than there are stars in 5000 milky ways and and no one will ever have that pattern of nap, uh, synaptic connections ever When you die, it's gone forever. Your your thickets of synaptic connection over here and the sort of barren wastelands of synaptic connections over there. And that makes you you. It means that's why you lean into some things more than others. That's why you love some things and hate others. That's why, that's why, that's why you're you. Now, it doesn't mean you can't grow. But as the Norse said about weird, it's like, and they said it explicitly, you have a weird when you're born. It can grow up but it doesn't become somebody else's weird. And what we know as human beings, even if you have, as Carol Dweck called it, a growth mindset, the issue isn't growth or no growth. It's almost like a false dichotomy. We all know people can grow. The brain does retain its plasticity, but you grow more synaptic connections where you have the most pre-existing ones, which means your pattern, your weird, as you grow, doesn't totally change its shape into another one. what happens is you actually hopefully become a more intelligent, more refined, more uh, well, less defensive version of you the weird you were when you were born. OK, that's so like well done, Norse, because over to after a thousand years, brain science came in and went, you know what, <laughs> you guys were right. Inside of everyone is this unbelievably unique, never to be repeated, uncategorizable series of networks and connections that create the choices you make and the loves and the emotions that you feel from that. That's so cool. And of course, at school, I mean, look around you at school. What you're told is the Norse are wrong. They were wrong. There's no weird inside you at all. Or if there is, it was caused by how you were brought up it's all a part of your biography. So, you know, Venus and Serena Williams are them because of their dad or Neil Armstrong was him because his dad told him to get his flying license before his driver's license. George Clooney was George Clooney because of Rosemary Clooney. And yet, and just to finish on this, what the what we really wanna know, and I never see anything written about is, is not about, not that those things are wrong. I mean, Venus and Serena did benefit from Richard, their dad. But why does Venus play t- tennis so differently from Serena? Why? Why does George Clooney's Mm. sister, George has a sister who has an aunt, by the way. Her aunt is also called Rosemary Clooney. Why is his sister an accountant specializing in payroll? Why? Like Neil Armstrong had a brother, Neil Armstrong. And his brother was a bank manager called Dean. (laughs) Dean. Like that's, I don't know what interests you, what your red threads are. But I am fascinated by the fact that we don't talk to our children or our workers and team members about, they're weird, about why are you, Neil Armstrong, different than Dean? It wasn't because you were raised differently at the same house. Oh, it's because you've got a unique pattern of synaptic connect which in your brain that isn't Neil's. And that doesn't confine you. It actually describes for you, Dean Armstrong, where you will manifest your greatest contribution. Hey, Neil. Hey, Dean. Step into your weird. FOMO. FOMO.
0: That makes anyway. a ton of sense. And it, it, you know, you think about it, like our our culture codes this for us in interesting ways. So like watch a Disney movie. I'm thinking, of, you made me think of Coco, which is, talk about weird. When I first watched that on a plane, I was, uh, like I, I, like one of the flight attendants had to intervene because I was crying so hard. She was like, "Are you okay, sir?" I was like, "No, I'm not." Because this movie has touched me deeply, and the reason why when I watch a movie like that, and a lot of these Disney heroes are the same. It's like the misunderstood person who is wants to do something different. Like the kid in Coco wants to be a musician. His family's like, "Don't do that." His weird, his spirit is telling him to do that, and we celebrate that. They're always the the heroes of these kinds of things. But in real life, we don't. And in fact, I think we do in general, a much better job seeing it in other people and appreciating it. Um, like, you know, either either we like sort of like shut them down and like, no, don't be that way. Or we say, oh, you're so special. You're so great. I love this, that you're doing this. It's one or the other. We're really bad at seeing it in ourselves. And you see that all the time when people are like, well, I don't know what I should do with my life because you're so disconnected from your weird that you can't figure it out. Now, you talk about Red Threads just mm-hmm. a moment ago. And this is kind of like a a place to start. So for everybody listening, like we're not going to leave you just with the weird. We want to give you the um <laughs> I don't even know like the pathway to weird, WYRD. What is the red threads? How do we find them and how do we act on them?
1: Yeah, it's like a decoder. So you're totally right of course that it's very difficult for you to step back from yourself and see your weird cuz you're in it. Um, and again, you're absolutely right. People develop in response to another human being. And often the human being is the one who goes, by the way, do you notice when you do that? And then you go, no, I did not I didn't notice that because that's just breathing for me. And, and that's a beautiful thing about being in a relationship with someone you really trust is that they, they see something not to criticize you, but to go, did you, you're amazing when you do that, you know, and you're like, really, um, so yes, but it, sometimes it is difficult to see the, you're weird because you're so inside it. It's like you live in New York. It's like you're the New, York, New, the New Yorker who no longer hears the sirens and the horns because you're mm-hmm. just there all the time, right? So, so But there are some clues and, and life is amazing because it's given you the best possible clues. The best possible clues come to you every day. So the, the, the metaphor of a red thread It's a bit like a tapestry where you look at a tapestry from afar and it looks like a painting or a picture. But you get up really close and you realize it's actually made up of thousands of different threads. That's what every day looks like. A Thursday isn't a Thursday, which is filled with to-do lists that rolled over from Wednesday, which is normally how we see days, isn't it? It's like, I've got to get through this day. I've got to get through this list. I've got to Mm. push through this day. We keep it, it's like, ah. but actually, if we could turn our minds around, change our relationship to our day, our day is actually made up of thousands of different threads, thousands of little stimuli, moments, five minutes here, two minutes here, 15 minutes here, actions, interactions, um, contexts, just activities. Thousands of them hit you every Thursday. And, and these are threads. Some of them don't lift you up at all. Some of them you don't even notice. Some of them you loathe. But some of them you you lean into, I mean, the clues to a red thread, the three most obvious ones, although there are more clues, which we could get into if we wanted to, but the three big ones for you would be number one, before you do something, you find yourself just almost instinctively looking forward to it. You don't even know why, but you sort of instinctively look forward to it. When the second is while you're doing it, you slip into what the positive psychologist, Mike Checkscher, called flow, but you could call it Mm -hmm. other things. It's your zone. It's like that feeling of time flying by where you vanish. Kind of the irony of life. You find yourself most clearly when you vanish into something that you're doing um, and the steps fall away and people look at you. And you, by the way, when you're doing that, you are measurably more attractive to people because you just are kind of fluid. And then the last one would be when you're done with it, you feel mastery. You don't feel tired. You're not drained. The thing you just did, from the Latin, you're in vigor. you're, You're strengthened by it. So before you do it, you lean into it. While you're doing it, time flies by. After you're done with it, you feel a little up. Okay, if you just did that every day, and you thought to yourself, you know what my life's doing, my life's putting on a show for me every day, my life's putting a show going, how about this? How about this? How about this thread? How about this thread? If you woke up every day, not that you don't have to do a to do list, but if you were just to go, you know what, what red threads can I find today? Because what we do know from data is the most successful people find something that they love to do each and every day. They don't love everything. In fact, the data would suggest 20% is a really good threshold. This is from Mayo Clinic data looking at doctors and nurses and why some burn up, a lot of them, but some don't. When you look at the ones that don't, what are they doing? And they seem to have deliberately looked for red threads in what they do. Now, the red threads are different. 20 emergency room nurses, they all find different red threads in the same job. It's not like they're all homogenous, but they're waking up every day going, what, in a sense, what activities will nourish me today? And and if you look at people in the same job, they do find different ones, but they all find them. And when it comes to love, Patrick, frequency frequency trumps intensity. It's not as though someone would say on Wall Street, for example, you know what? I'm going to work really, really, really hard for five years. I'm not going to find any red threads at all. It's going to be sort of loveless and contorting. But don't worry, I'll earn so much money in five years, I'll quit at the end of five years and I'll uh, I'll go open a BnB and b in Vermont. The problem is, of course, if you've got five loveless years like that, you're damaged. So if every day you woke up and went, what red threads today? Not all day, but what every day? Then what you're doing is ensuring that as you move through your week, you're being nourished by the actual things that you're doing. And so love is your decoder to your weird. Decoder is not quite the right word, but it's the your loves, your specific activities that you love and lean into is is like somebody's waving a big flag going, there's nourishment for you here and here and here. And the funny thing is, everybody else is colorblind to your red threads. That's the powerful thing about this, Patrick. You're the only one that knows. You knew at 11. And, And no one can come in and tell you, if you say, look, you know what's funny? I really love balancing books. I can't even tell you why, but I love it when it balances. No one can come in and go, no, you don't. They can say, here's a better way to do it. (laughs) But no one can contradict, if you go, I love this, I love it when, then it's like puts you right back in the driver's seat of your own weird life because life's kind of showing it to you every day. Now we don't teach people how to do this, but the most successful people almost, like look at your career, you're probably a poster child for going, I'm sorry, I am going to take seriously the fact that I seem to lean into certain things and get a kick out of certain things that I can't even explain why, but I do. And then I'm going to fashion a life that enables me to have a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them. And then people are going to look at me and go, how did you find such a great thing, Patrick? And you're going to go, I don't know, man. It's just, I was scavenging around and, you know, there I was, wherever I went, (laughs) there I was. We, we could take your life probably and sort of play it out for everybody and you wouldn't end up with less productivity. This isn't about narcissism. You're making the contribution that you're making because you took your red threads really
0: seriously. You're just, it's like you went inside my head and spent some time there, it took me to church in the process. And I, I just love, I love this concept because you're right, I have done that in a very disorganized, messy way. And you have written a book that will allow all of us to do that. So the the book is called Love and Work. You can find out more at loveandwork.org and you can find out more about Marcus on his Instagram, which is, I think, pretty good Instagram. I'm going to give you a compliment on that. It's at Marcus Buckingham. Marcus Buckingham, uh, it's been a total pleasure. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Patrick. Loved it. Red thread for me today. FOMO.